should you decide to accept it. Welcome to yet another week of the Your Mission podcast. This week we are going over Elliot Smith's entire-ish catalog. We made an Elliot Smith Mega Mix. We each made a Mega Mix. Some of us made a Mega Mix. <laughs> and, and luckily one of us, one fine gentleman, <laughs> took the time to trim it down to something the rest of you could consume. Yeah. I, well, I don't know, man. It's 42 tracks. I think you're going to still need the better part of an afternoon. But It's not the 70 tracks that I sent you. Yeah, but but I did my best to trim it down. I actually did include two more songs that none of us had included and that I'd completely forgotten about. Two covers that we can get into a little bit later. And also, just for the purposes of understanding what we did and how we did it, no Heat Miser in here. Although... It wouldn't be a bad thing to, at some point, like check Heatmiser out a little bit more. Yeah, Mike City Suns, right? If you want an easy to digest Heatmiser from an Elliot Smith familiarity, Mike City Suns. Just go straight to that. Everything else is not quite formed completely, but Mike City Suns and the album before it, Cops and Speeders were happening simultaneous to the first two Elliott Smith albums. And uh, you can tell his, his presentation becomes more of what you're familiar with through those albums. Jenny, I'm curious, like, how did you pick your songs? What was the process? When did you listen, etc.? I didn't really have a lot of work to do, to be honest, because I told Lewis before you got here that um, I have been listening to Elliot Smith for so long that at this point my preferences just are what they are. Yeah. And when it is just like, all right, which what would your mega mix look like? It wasn't hard to just quickly be like, yep, 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 yep. Yeah. If you guys notice, I made that mix. I think the I think it was Sunday night, maybe like last week. Like basically, it, right it took me like an hour. <laughs> like, yeah. Because like yeah. yeah, no, I, that, I'm the same way. Although. The kind of work that I do affords me like the opportunity to listen to music and I have to be careful about what music because I do actually I don't work a factory job like I and not to talk shit on factory jobs at all but I I have to produce information and there's like music that's a little more conducive to that and less I was worried at the outset that some of this music would be hard for me to work to just because of the like emotional attachment and I was pleasantly surprised that like enough, I built enough distance to respect it and feel familiar with it enough to be able to work and listen. So I, I listened to my mix. I listened to some Heatmiser stuff. When Jenny, when you put together your mix, then I went through some of the songs that you picked that I hadn't just to check in. And then yesterday, last night, when we, when we got Ryan's picks, I went through and listened to some obscure like B-sides and all kinds of shit that I had not known about or forgotten about. So I, my whole week was dominated by, dominated by Elliot Smith. Yeah. Ryan? Yeah. Most of mine was revisiting the first few Elliot Smith albums that I, that I was very familiar with and trying to trim their contribution to this down enough that it isn't just the first four albums back to back and it could easily be like i find that i listen to 
Roman Candle and probably either or the most. And I found those hard to trim down at first. But once I started listening to more Heat Miser and the last two albums, Figure Eight and the Posthumous album uh, from a Basement on the Hill, I kind of went back and, and trimmed out some of the stuff that was either maybe a little too repetitive in the list for me, or like I felt was covered, like the, the tone was covered on a few other tracks that I liked a little bit better. Yeah. But doing that also left me with a ton of Heat Miser tracks. And I've definitely found that I can work to it without too much trouble. Like most of Friday was spent listening to the mix that I made on shuffle, trying to see, okay, if they aren't presented in an order that I made them in, do I still want it here? And tried yeah. to clean it up a bit. Yeah. And, and, and really, I think the the short way to a quick playlist for me is the first four albums and then trim off a little bit. But so, yeah, I'm glad. I was uh, mm-hmm. sorry to interrupt. I was going to say, what? So your favorite? If you had to pick the your favorite records of his like stuff, it's it's Roman Candle it's prob- either or. It, yeah, if I had to pick like a favorite, I like that expanded version of uh, either or is the way to go. I'm just. Yeah. yeah, I'm in a happy space through that whole album. Happy space. I'm in a, I'm in a pleasant, I'm in a satisfied position listening to that album. I don't really want for other Elliott Smith songs. Yeah, yeah. At, at least on a, like background music. Jenny, what about you? What, what if you had to pick one? If I had to pick, it would be close between EXO and Figure Eight, but I think Figure Eight wins by just like. Cool. I think Figure Eight was the first one that I bought when it came out. So, I the way I remember being exposed to Elliot Smith, I think was from you, Alonzo. I'm sure. I think you you came back from camp, or maybe freshman year of college. One of the two. I bet it was like some sort of summer camp or something. I, yeah, I think it was a summer camp thing, and, and you came back with some Elliot Smith tapes that you had made from somebody else's Elliot Smith stuff and I I think on first listen I just popped those in a dual tape deck and made a copy and uh, yeah yeah I think it was on yeah I think that's right that was gonna be my like next thing because I think as, as I remember I think that the first time I heard Elliot Smith was Miss Misery and I think it was the Goodwill, I think it was either Goodwill Hunting movie or soundtrack or some, maybe his performance at the Oscars or I can't remember. I think that was the first time. And then I think I went to summer camp, some sort of summer camp in Morgantown, I think it was, the, the summer before my senior year. And I think that's when I met someone that actually had CDs and then I dubbed those. Because I didn't, because, <laughs> you know, yeah, you couldn't get that stuff like in the record store. I think maybe they had Goodwill Hunting soundtrack on in the record store. Maybe. I, th- I so I think that was. So I think that was something that we could have bought, potentially in town, because when the Ben Franklin was still oh, up gosh. and functioning in Petersburg. Yeah. They would occasionally get some albums that like it was a surprise like 
I think that was the first place I got a copy of uh, Houdini, the Melvin's album Houdini. Whoa. I think I bought it from the Ben Franklin in Petersburg. And I think they had it because they're like, people are listening to Nirvana. What else is, they must have had some kind of metric to compare. Who knows, Because man. they they had some really good grunge album selections and the fact that Houdini was one of them was who can, who can say? Who can say? I, I don't know. Like, every time you discover some music, because I don't think I saw him on MTV, like, early on. So every time you discover music that wasn't on MTV for, for whatever reason, like, at least for me in that time, it was like a minor miracle and yeah. like a treasure. And I think that the first time I heard him, I just was like immediately drawn to it and just the sound, his voice, how pretty the songs were. I, I don't know. There's just something that clicked for me. Like, Jenny, when, was it also Miss Misery for you or was it something else? No. Was it I, your dad? It wasn't at all, <laughs> man. I, I would have lost my shit that. if your dad bought, like, had the Roman candle, like, vinyl or some crazy shit like that. All week, man. all week I was anticipating that to be the, the origin point. Damn. Yeah. Here's your the thing, though. Disappointed I, in your father. <laughs> disappointed. I was, I had just gone to college. I wasn't even at home. Had I been at home, he might have introduced me to it first, huh. but I wasn't home. Got so it. I was just, I had just started at Shepherd, and for that uh, little while when I first was there, I had was on their radio station, and Elliot Smith was like one of the new CDs that came in, and I'm, I'm pretty sure it was Figure Eight. I'm almost a hundred percent sure it was Figure Eight. And that would have been the time frame. Yeah, and so I played. I was like, all right, fine, let's throw this on and see what this is. And I really couldn't tell you which one I played. But I immediately was like, oh, no, I'm going to go home and I'm going to find the rest of this. And I'm going to, yeah, basically. So, Jenny, yeah. I happen to know that you're a big Simon Garfunkel fan. And did you get, when you listened to it, I don't know, Sound of Silence vibes or, I don't know, some kind of Simon Garfunkel vibes off of this? Sometimes, yes. I think that... There's a definite, like, Simon and Garfunkel, to me, is, on average, a lot more happy than Elliot Smith. <laughs> so it's not a connection that I immediately yeah. put together super fast. Yeah, yeah. But on their sadder ones, like Sounds of Silence, absolutely. Yeah. Or, yeah. And, and I, I wonder if, like, part, like, when I would get that vibe, I would think about what is it about this that's really driving that Simon and Garfunkel feeling? And it's both the the keys that he sings in and the way that they track his vocals like mm -hmm. his vocals are tracked in a way that he's frequently creating like a harmony with himself that really gives off a really solid Simon and Garfunkel vibe and more yeah more oh man also one thing another thing I watched this video of these like two musicians like guitarists um like acoustic guitarists and they were talking about how Elliot Smith was like their biggest influence and that he that and I don't know if Ryan if you can speak to this but like that like his he was like so like technically gifted as a player and so unusual as a player too like one of the things they were saying was he would like intentionally like he would do what's called double drop detuning um, yeah he's in C for a lot of these songs 
And then he would play one of the things they were saying is like he would play like major chords and then three times in a row and then the fourth time he would play it with slightly different fingering and like a couple of slightly different notes that would make it sound like a minor chord and just weird sort of bizarre things like that and his like finger picking style was really advanced for someone in that, that like making that kind of music yeah i'm always impressed at some of the more complex picking patterns that he's playing while he's singing through a lot of these songs yeah that's always been something that caught my eye or ear is like how technically gifted he is and the moment i started trying to learn some of his songs yeah it's oh i don't think it was the first time i think it wasn't the first time i encountered alternate tunings aside from the drop d but it was the first time i had encountered that in what equated to folk melodies yeah like it was the first time out of like the first time out of a rock atmosphere that i encountered like oh there's all kinds of beautiful sad things you can do with really odd tuning yeah i'm curious i hadn't looked it up i thought about it but it just i didn't have time to do it i'm curious as to what he plays like what type of guitar and what the scale length is because scale length comes into play a lot when you start detuning it the way that the tension on the string plays you get really sloppy strings on a 25 inch scale length yeah so that's the appeal of like baritone guitars for detuned players that have a 27 inch scale length or in some cases like 29 i think that that extra length allows for the slack to be pulled up as you're tuning in and and i'm curious with an acoustic guitar like exactly what he was playing yeah yeah so i'm gonna just start playing our little mega mix and we can start talking okay roman candle so i didn't listen to so i listened to all these out of order so the first time i really started listening to his stuff it was either or and I think EXO had just come out, maybe, when I really started getting into his stuff. And so I listened to those a lot, and then went back and listened to the first two. Pr- probably within the first six months. This would have been like 98, 99, right, let's say, for me. Yeah, yeah, I think 98 was a pretty, I think that would have been the time frame. Because, what, Goodwill Hunting is 97? Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, so probably first heard in '97, first got access to like his well, music in like general in '98, then yeah. and then certainly in '99 in college, my freshman year, I was listening to this all the time. And I distinctly remember Figure Eight drop, and Son of Sam played. I saw Son of Sam on MTV, and it was like. Holy shit, I just saw an Elliot Smith video in daytime, pride time, MTV, and then, yeah, do everything I can to try and figure out when it's coming out and how I can get my hands on it. So one of the things for me with Elliot Smith is, what I love about what we're doing is like, for me, we're recontextualizing a whole bunch of music I listened to back in the day, which is almost always a good thing. Because <laughs> it's just like, it's like just a much less happy person back then. But thinking about that time, I hadn't really discovered like 
being where we grew up, like we've said many times before, like it's just really hard to get like out there music. And when you did, you just held it really dear. And so I was like very proud of the fact that I knew about this guy and discovered him. And so when I went to college, like I was super into him. And I remember that, I remember that knowing him and liking Elliot Smith's music, it was not enough cred music-wise at the college I went to. It was like, like some poser stuff. And so let me just put it to you like this, right? I went to Swarthmore College, which is a small liberal arts college outside of Philly. And so a lot of the people that had gone there, they were from cities. They had access to like real record stores and vinyl and all kinds of stuff, all kinds of cool shit. I didn't. And, and so like people came in listening to stuff that was so cool, but I'd never even heard of it and hadn't even begun to, begun to hear of it. And Elliot Smith, had some sort of mainstream appeal because he was in that big ass movie that won Oscars and had fucking Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. And so to me, like the first hint that the sort of gatekeepers of like taste were just phonies was when, was Elliot Smith. It was like really one of the first hints. This is like, this is beautiful music. I don't give a fuck who thinks what. Like, they're just wrong. But there was just a lot of just this like when you're at one of those kinds of schools like there's a lot of competitiveness everyone denies that they're competitive but everyone's extremely competitive like extremely competitive so you're always trying to outdo someone with what you know or what your life experience was or what you where you came from or whatever or you're trying to like grab onto some sort of authenticity in some way or whatever so for me like his music was like definitely a, a refuge from a lot of that stuff and it really spoke to my soul and to me it defines like a couple of years of my life just in terms of where I was emotionally and you might think god that sucks that's really sad or whatever but a lot of his music is just it's not I, I wouldn't characterize it as sad exactly it's just fucking beautiful man it's just it's the way like a crumbling alleyway is like beautiful in like a certain light right i, I don't yes. know if, if that's a good enough metaphor i think that's right yes it is certainly the contents and and melodies are sad but it doesn't elicit sadness in and of itself because there's so many there's so much beauty to like the progression and the way that the guitar like just dances around his like forlorn vocal melodies and the way that his voice breaks in places like it all is just it's not it doesn't have the polish of a rick rubin produced like like this is perfect and we've got all the mics you know we've got like all, all the high quality mics in all the right places to get just exactly the right take to make him sound perfect there's a grittiness to his sound that doesn't do anything but add to the beauty of the composition i'm gonna interject a little science here for a hot second science um, yeah back in the day before before i switched career paths i was doing a lot of social science research in grad school and one of the things that I remember us talking about in one of our classes one day was that my professor was saying, like, there have actually been studies done. People who thought that on nights when there were, like, big metal shows in town, 
that like crime would increase because it's like inciting these people and getting them all riled up and this the children's metal is bad it's a bad influence it's devil's music sure. whatever yeah. that vein of stuff and so they actually studied it and they found that crime actually went down after those shows because it's not that the music was making people angry it's that when you heard angry music you actually felt better about being angry and in, in, it's more comforting and that's the way i feel about elliot smith like in this in the same exact parallel is that the music itself is really sad but it doesn't make you sad to listen to it it's like comforting oh yeah like it actually makes you feel better to listen to it even though it's sad as shit and super depressing in places um, yeah, I yeah I couldn't yeah I couldn't agree more. It's just comforting. It just it just it feels right. And I guess one other thing one other thing I thought about is especially his earlier stuff like we're listening to right now. It's really poorly recorded or at least recorded on a four track or something like that or maybe an eight track. <laughs> I don't know, but it put me in touch with what, what Ryan was saying like that music doesn't have to be like so slickly you can hear every instrument perfectly and everything's balanced perfectly and everything's rhythmically on time like for it to be like amazing so for me that started like the whole like whatever lo-fi you know it's funny because like yesterday yesterday I was on the fellas stream what up fellas apparently we're being raided but 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 I was on the fellow stream and they were playing. Jay and James have a have a band um, called uh, Rogues Beware, and they were playing some of their old songs like from four or five years ago. And I don't know. They were like like they were songs that I really felt like they they weren't greatly produced, but they still sounded great. And they were like, oh man, the drums are the drums are off or the bass is off or whatever. And I was just like, it's like it's all good, man. It sounds good, you know. <laughs> It sounds good. That's, that's the whole point. The yeah, I, the thing that I think about sometimes is like the warmth of like people talk about the warmth of vinyl and like the warmth of these early Elliot Smith recordings to that same way for me. Like the pop and fuzz of the way it was recorded really adds to that. I like it's probably coffee shop music, but there are so many moments where it feels more like just dude with a guitar sitting beside a chain link fence at a like busted alley. And like this song, I don't know, this is one of easily like one of my favorite LA Smith tracks and the way that it like This being last call from Roman Candle. Yeah, yeah what's playing in the background now is last call off the Roman Candle. And it like the the verses, like, it's like the tide. Like, the verses kind of, the music falls back a little bit, and the, the like, rolling nature of his vocals through the verse takes you along, and then as it comes closer to the chorus, it just builds in a very interesting way that, that it just kind of sucks you in. And, yeah, all of his best tracks for me have this kind of, it's depressed surfer heroin chic like like <laughs> yeah. it's it's i don't know yeah it, like for teenage me it's like all of my shitty self-loathing is wrapped up in like how these songs made me feel for adult me it's oh this is just perfect and beautiful it yeah. gives me warm and fuzzies yeah. or it could be the boost <laughs> Yeah, I think that's true. As an adult, it's just it's a different it's a different like approach, a different take, 
And You're at a point in your life where at least we are at a point where thing, things are more stable. So you're not nearly, I guess I'll speak for myself. <laughs> you're just way past the point where these, the kinds of things that I usually found Elliot Smith like comforting for are fortunately behind me for the most part. Thank fucking God. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's like, you know, you get a little distance and perspective and you can just appreciate it for what it is without right. having that. But, but it serves both purposes really well. It, it does, yeah, you know? Yeah, you're so right. I feel like I was obviously a lot more emotionally attached to this music, like, back in the day. And would wound you, like, it would wound me in different ways. But, and I think I do, I, I think I could speak for all of us that where, like, there's just either things that we like either overcame or just like sort of natural things that have just changed with age or like you just go through more experiences in life and then it's not maybe about you most of the time or all the time or even a quarter of the time or you may even lose Good your life. birthday to your twin sons whatever <laughs> but but basically like uh, like it, it becomes a little bit less like i'm not sure how to explain it but it becomes less like a hot potato and more just like a meal that you can enjoy at leisure but like there's moments when you're like hey, you've had a rough week day etc and you're feeling like beat down uh, again we're listening now we've we're listening to kiwi mad dog 2020 yeah. like this love. this is such an amazing track because and the fact that this exists on such a forlorn album like i find myself in moments like sitting back and reflecting on like a hard day or series of days with elliot smith's music playing in headphones or as loud as i can get it in the backyard or just sitting outside and reflecting but kiwi mad dog 2020 will come on and that like perfect surf reverb within it just it's like it escorts me back out of this self-reflective like funk that I'm in yeah. and reminds me like, it's cool, I'll be here for when it comes back, but I'll take this and enjoy whatever you By the way, dude, I dude, I fucked up and I did not get I did not get Mad Dog 2020, which was like one simple goal that I set for the today. And okay. just, yeah, I we just could not just... fucking made it, could not fucking made it. Like, I wasn't going to say, like, Kiwi. Like, that, to me, that's got, I don't, I, I can't imagine you could find that just, like, anywhere. But just some kind of Mad Dog 2020 would have been nice, but last. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I just, I don't have that kind of dedication. <laughs> it's not that easy to find. That's what I'm saying. It's, if it was me going to a liquor store. Here's yeah. what we're going to do. We're going to resolve this by making an agreement, or at least whatever. You guys don't, I'm not going to hold you to it. But when we go on our nudie suit trip, I will bring some Kiwi Mad Dog. Yeah, that'd be amazing. <laughs> By just the time by the way, done this, for, for this the trip is going to be like for, for, for so many things combined in one. For any new listeners, what we mean by nudie suit, just <laughs> FYI, just look it up on on the internet. N U D I E suit. Okay, it's not we're going to go naked on a trip. Yeah, but just, I mean, this I, I also fine, think but. that's how you. I'm pretty sure that's how you spell nudie, as in the naked. So like spelling it doesn't necessarily qualify it. Yeah, an alternate spelling. Clothing. Nude-ish. Yeah, it's an <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Look like just just brush up on just your, just like, look it up like, online. Yeah. Just yeah. Your seventies outlaw. Just look it just up online up on, on an incognito window. 
Yeah. <laughs> and you'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Turn, turn safe their jaw. <laughs> yeah, so it's what's funny is at this point i don't remember a time when i wasn't listening to elliot smith in particular but it obviously happened it's just so ingrained into the personality that i've developed over the last like 20 years of listening to this that it, it just like i said my my list was like 70 tracks and it ignored some things that i really love when I listen to the albums on their own, but when I combine everything into a list, there's some overlap with this and that, and this has a more interesting bridge, or it's, I know that the list I have built within my, my quick and easy music choice, I can drop that playlist on now from, you know, now until I stop paying for that service. <laughs> Anytime I want to listen to Elliot Smith, I can just pull up that playlist and hit shuffle. And there's going to be some of the weird early Heat Miser stuff that sounds like Helmet on like depressants. But I'm still going to love it. Like I'm still going to, I'm not going to have to dig through those Heat Miser albums and filter through the tracks that aren't that interesting to find the stuff that, that I enjoy. That there, So Heat Miser was the band that Elliot Smith was in before he became Elliot Smith. And it was, it's, it was out of Portland. I think their first album came out in 91, maybe. And their first album sounds like, like a little Husker Du, a little bit Helmet. It sounds nothing like what Elliot Smith becomes, but it sounds like teenage angst just a little bit more polite than some of the other angsty bands but they also had a, like a five track their second release was a five track ep called yellow number five that opens with elliot smith singing a minute and 37 second punk track and and there's a tr like the third or fourth track on that album sounds like who's Do. like it's i think like a lot of people they heard rock and they're like yeah i want to do that i want to play that i want to do that on stage the interesting thing in the trajectory is that the longer they were playing the more it mellowed out and mike city sons is if you don't listen to any other like heat miser albums if you check out some heat miser mike city sons is a good point to understand like the way Elliot Smith was diverting from the band, but still bringing some of that stuff in, and the way that like the rest of the band members were still holding on but refining the sound that they had tried to make with the band, it just the test of time is Elliot Smith by and large, and yeah, it's just so crazy different to hear his first couple of albums and their first couple of albums together as such a huge like gap in, in yeah. sound it, it, it is a weird thing I'm happy he figured out his own sound because I feel like he might just it, cool but it's, it's kind of throwaway it's just it's, it's cool it just it doesn't stand out and maybe enough to me right yeah I, there, there are so many other bands at that point in time making that sound yeah like there's a little bit of REM and Heat Miser, right? There's a little bit of Dinosaur Jr. There's so many other bands that had that sound and had refined it so perfectly that 
Keep Miser must have been a fun like local cover band if you were in Portland at the time. Yeah. But it, it was um, it was his way to something else maybe. Yeah, it was definitely and and as you get to the latter Elliot Smith albums, Figure Eight, and as as much as be as much as from a basement on the hill can be assumed to be the way he would have interpreted that album it's cool to see how that came full circle and he started working like like full arrangements and and a little bit more upbeat sounds and a little bit of distortion i think you even start hearing that in xl i think you're right like there are a handful of tracks in xl that that starts on i'm not a big fan of figure eight i just feel like it's kind of middle of the ground middle of the road for me like yeah. It's not the older Smith, the older Elliot Smith that I really love, but it doesn't deviate enough from it to set it apart. For me, there's a handful of tracks from it. There were a lot of tracks on from a basement on a hill from I don't know, from a basement on the hill. I don't know, but there there are a number of tracks on that that kind of I don't know. It's like there were some upbeat components. There was some distortion he was bringing in. There were some different sounds that that were put into those tracks that I'd like to think that was his intention. The problem with Posthumous albums is that it may not have been. Well, I I listened to the last show he ever played, and he played, I think, a song off of there called Plain Clothes Man. And I thought it was, yeah, I don't know. It was close enough. I thought that was. I think that's a heat miser. Oh, you might be right. Program. Yeah, you might be right. I think. I think. I think that actually is either on Cops and Speeders yeah. or Mike City Sun. Did, did um, so? Have any of you guys seen Royal? Just before the song ends, have any of you guys seen the Royal Tenenbaums? Yeah. Yeah. So this Long song, "Needle in the Hay," is the song playing during Richie, who I believe is Luke Wilson's character, slitting his wrists. Yeah. <laughs> do you remember that? Which. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, I do. I know. I, know, I remember. I, know I remember the hearing the song. <laughs> yeah, I remember hearing the song and like realizing where they were going with this scene, just yeah. solely based on the song. Yeah. Um, yeah. Great movie. But, but, but yeah, fantastic out. movie. And and yeah, check out the Fumblers. Uh, episode. Think, yeah, I think they. Yeah, they think that. Yeah, they did an episode on that. Yeah. But uh, oh, what the hell was I gonna say? Oh, I was gonna ask. I was going to ask Jenny if you have some sort of like story or something from back in the day around Elliot Smith. Because I, I, I have a story I wanted to share. I think probably Ryan knows a little bit about it, but if other of you guys have some stories, I'm, or I'm happy to vamp a little bit while you come up with one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I was just thinking it was, it was playing a lot as I went about my life, but I don't know that any of it was interesting enough to marry <laughs> Yeah. The, what I was going to talk about was how I got kicked off of college radio. Which time? <laughs> <laughs> no, the first time. The second time, I think, was more of a <laughs> mutual parting of ways. But your excitement for new music from artists you love, like, <laughs> especially at that point in time, was it at peak value? Yeah. I remember, I remember, was it a bit of Yeah, out? yeah, I played. Yeah, yeah. It, was, yeah. it was out from out where drop. Out from out where, yeah. 
Yeah, so you and I were I'd come up to visit you at Swarthmore and you and I found it in the afternoon and played it in the evening and your boss called to be like, You can't do this. Yeah, well <laughs> yeah, so so, so, the, so the second time I didn't quite get kicked off. I was just told yeah. please stop playing yeah. that and I did. Yeah, you, <laughs> you were rep, you, you were reprimanded and we moved and on. And we moved on. Like the the first time were, though, I we were asked to pack up our bags and leave the radio station. So, yeah, so, yeah, I'll tell that story. So, again, I went to Swarthmore College. That's a whole other story, podcast, whatever, about how I ended up going there. But one of the cool things that I found out when I got there was that they had a radio station, an FM radio station, and that students could apply to get a show. And that freshmen, like, were guaranteed a certain number of slots. And so you had to go to this meeting, right, and apply. And with a pitch. And uh, so I went to the meeting with a dude I knew down the hall. And uh, this guy, Jeff Regeer, who I've lost touch with. I hope he's doing all right. But we went to this meeting, and it was just like, just hipster, like, fucking ground zero, man. And what I didn't realize was that, like, Swarthmore's college radio station was, like, a big deal, right? So bands would break by being played on... I think it was 91.5 WSRN. Like, bands would break, and so they would release their, like, top 10 rock, whatever, and that made a big deal. That was, like, a big deal. Again, this is, I know this is hard for some of our younger listeners to imagine, but at <laughs> some point, like, radio actually mattered. Radio plays mattered, and there were certain tastemaker radio stations where their picks actually mattered. So I show up being thinking that like Elliot Smith and I don't know what like Ben Folds 5 is like cool or something or mm-hmm. out there or whatever and I remember at the time everyone was listening to like Death Cab for Cutie and like Modest Mouse and just like a bunch of bands I'd never heard of at that time and so we show up and we wrote down our little pitch which I don't even remember what the fuck it was and we were like it was like us and like maybe five or so of the freshmen and, and it was like for seven slots. So like I knew we were gonna get a show. I was like super excited. And, but, so we got a show, but it was in the rock department, okay? So the station had departments and the rock department was special, okay? All the other departments, right? You could play whatever the fuck you wanted. No one would fuck with you. Like the country department, you could play anything. There was like a world music in a real like fucking imperialist like bullshit white person way. There was like a world music department, which, by the way, the second time I got on the radio, I did it through the world music <laughs> department because like they wouldn't fuck with me. And then I just played whatever I felt like. But so the first time, so we got a rock show and you had to play 50% of your show had to come from a pre-approved curated playlist by the people that ran the rock department. Okay. And I was just like, this is bullshit. So me and Jeff are like, just like, we're just going to ignore the playlist. <laughs> so, so yeah, we did. We were on the radio for probably like two months and just completely ignored. Like we just, and also we were given a 2 a.m. like time slot on like, on like a Sunday night or some shit. I don't know. It was like the worst possible time slot. Like you could possibly imagine. So we figured no one was listening and we figured, and we just didn't give a fuck. We were just like, this is stupid. We're just going to play whatever we want. So I think, and so we played Elliot Smith. We played Elliot Smith and we played stuff we thought was cool. We also played some very offensive stuff. 
Um, I'm pretty sure we played Guar and like just whatever, just like highly offensive stuff that probably should never be played on FM radio. No matter what time it is. It's a form of rock. It's like a form totally. of rock. Totally. It's a completely valid form of rock. But So we played all sorts I of would, bullshit. I would argue that, that Guar is more of a visual. <laughs> yeah, good point. But like we played, oh man, I don't even know if I can say the name of this band on Twitch. Uh, <laughs> it was Anal C Word. Oh, yeah. yeah. Do you, I don't know if you remember those guys. I'm very familiar with... Familial with... Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, familial? Don't... Are you familial, familial. with... Familial. I'm familiar. <laughs> Damn, dude. Yes. And other bullshit we should never play on FM radio, certainly. Um, no, screw that. We should play it on FM radio at the least expected moment. It's also, we were right like, we were radio. very drunk and high every show. And like, <laughs> all the time, we had 10 seconds of dead air because we didn't have our shit together to play the next song. Also, I think we were maybe some of the first people on Swarthmore's radio station to play MP3s. Because MP3s were like a very novel thing. And we had, to, we had to rig this like crazy connection where like we had to connect Jeff's computer to like, like through like... USB to RCA. I don't know. We just, it was just some bullshit at, that we like concocted to be able to play MP3s on the radio. And Swarthmore's like radio station had this giant, enormous like selection of vinyl. And so we were like expected to be playing vinyl and shit like that. Anyway, so at some point, and, and a lot of Elliot Smith, like I said, at some point, and one of those shows, we were very drunk, we were very high, we were like laughing on the air and just being dipshits. And I remember, like, the guy who ran the rock department was, like, very serious guy. Very serious guy. I remember exactly. He looked like Jason Schwartzman from Rushmore. Oh, nice. It really helped with the vision. It really, yeah, yeah. So just no no beret, but he might as well. He was wearing a beret in spirit. Like, his soul was wearing a beret. Yeah, totally, yeah. So anyway, he this fucker shows up, and he's, okay, guys, pack your bags and get the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> pack your shit get the fuck out and we looked at him we were like super stoned because there was a balcony again we were, there was like a balcony right outside the radio station Ryan you know this <laughs> I do know this because I have my own shame story from, from your radio days <laughs> that won't be addressed today uh, but anyway but anyway so we had lots of fun on that balcony let's just say and uh, so he, when he came in, we were actually sitting on the windowsill between the balcony and the radio <laughs> station. And uh, so we were just like, uh, we were just like little freshmen that were just like, what's going on? What's you know, like, and we got what our do shit. We, what do we do? Yeah, we got our shit and we laughed. And let me just say this right now with six people listening on Twitch. Man, if I can just say it very powerfully, like... Fuck Swarthmore, stupid college radio station. <laughs> fuck you guys. Fuck the rock department. Fuck all of you fucking pretentious dumbasses. <laughs> fuck all of you. Your shit was bullshit. Radio is dead. Okay? <laughs> Nobody cares. All right? And, and what, 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 what good? What good? So we didn't play your stupid fucking playlist. We were drunk freshmen. Who the fuck cares, man? At three in the well, morning. Nobody cares. To be fair, like that kind of behavior is the thing that could prove radio not to be dead, but <laughs> people are really busy trying to hold that pillow over the face of radio right now. Like it's it's not fair. You can't tell me this isn't rock music. 
it maybe it's not as heavy as some people may want or whatever they were looking for in their rock music but this is this is alt rock folk this is an amalgam fusion I, is the way forward for just about everything so, some some so, some people think Elliot Smith is like hipster music and like it's I want to be like yo if it is then there are multiple levels of hipsterdom right that this is like out beneath them and whatever I just don't get it man if it sounds good I, to me it's fucking good I don't care I don't care yeah. don't care people have people have weird divide lines I remember just after I got to college being really into at the drive-in Oh, you awesome know, band. Great band. Yeah, spoiler alert, still into everything they yeah, fucking do. fucking great um, band. And one of my co-workers who was in a punk band was, we were just talking music. He was older than me. He seemed to have good taste in a lot of things. I had some punk cred for, luckily, again, went to high school with Toma. We had another friend in Petersburg, Doug, that turned me on to punk Doug music. Doug Simmons, man. Simmons. I hope he's alive and okay, man. That's all I got I, to say. So do I, because that dude like really changed my musical palette at a very important time frame. But so we were having a conversation about at the drive-in, and I was immediately like, "Oh yeah, I really dig this album. Have you listened to these guys?" His response was, "I don't like emo," and it just broke my brain. I was like, <laughs> "What the hell are you talking about?" Me meanwhile, these guys were super into Bad Religion, which is, I'm sorry, pretty fucking boring. Um, <laughs> Like, in terms of filing Elliot Smith away as hipster music, I don't know, like, the thing with hipster hipsterism is the pretension. And yeah. if you're going to tell me that Elliot Smith is no good, you're actually behaving just like the thing you're complaining about. You're becoming the thing you hate. It's not worth it. Like, hipsters facilitate a lot of things I genuinely enjoy. Yeah. And I just try not to be a stuck-up prick about the things I enjoy. Yeah. So... You know, it's about diving this, deep. For me, it's like about diving deep. But yeah, it's about diving deep. I love diving deep. And I know a lot of those kind of people do that. And there's a lot of music that those kind of people produce. So I think that is like super interesting. But and I think I, I definitely nerd out on diving deep and looking for that other band that does this sure. other cool thing. There's something really fun and awesome about I that. I mean, there's an awesome wave of vinyl that's happening now that is totally like... It's totally responsible, like, like the hipster dollar is responsible for a big part of it. And I, I, I don't, like, if you're trying to negate things and talk about how worthless they are or how unimportant they are, and you point at something like this, like, you really just negated your own opinion. Not that fucking into it. I, I want to talk about, there's so much in, in Elliot Smith, in Elliot Smith's sound that just didn't exist anywhere else at that point in time and the moment i find something interesting like this it's time to start digging into what they were listening to mm -hmm. start digging into where they come from yeah. because while i love elliot smith and have spent the last 20 years listening to elliot smith i like i constantly want to see something a little bit different like i have my tracks i love i have my sounds that i love I, that's why I enjoyed this particular, you know, challenge, because it really was the first time I sat down and put time in on From a Basement on the Hill, and I found some really enjoyable tracks. 
that I just, I was stuck up my own ass on the posthumous part. And now I'm afraid of that. Like that and, and there's an amazing version of Christian Brothers on the soundtrack of the documentary that is technically Heat Miser doing Christian Brothers. And to hear this song that I've loved so much as a straightforward solo acoustic track flushed out to a full band really changed the way that looked. Yeah. Like it, it's a really cool track. So, yeah, no, it's, and for me, like, I think if you dig deep about Ellie Smith, right, I know he comes from a punk scene, but... Comes from Omaha. Wasn't he in Texas for a while, too? I... Yeah, and he, he moved may have been in Texas for a while. I think yeah, he moved around he, a lot. He was born in, born in Omaha and I guess wound up musically in Portland music for sure. Yeah, I think for me, I mean, to me, like the, the things that I hear clearly are like the super melodic, super melodic like folk and like stuff like the Beatles for sure. There are certain songs from the Beatles. I can hear lots of things there too. And then also some 70s like singer-songwriter stuff too. Like I just, I hear a lot of those influences. And I don't know how, how you feel about this, Jenny, but for me, right, the earlier songs, like there's a song Condor Avenue, it's on Roman Candle, right? Yeah, one it's of like, my favorites. It's one of my favorites too. If you look and at the I lyrics. And I actually would, I, I was just gonna add that yeah. had I thought about it, I would have put it on my EP of Shame because I feel like that's like such a good one that you can just like feel bad about <laughs> there's nothing no i refuse no, there's nothing shameful about that song man that song is brilliant i feel like maybe it's just my interpretation of the lyrics but mm-hmm. it seems to me that, like it's just like very much like you you done you you fucked up somehow and it seems like irredeemable and yep. it's bad yes you know? okay yes in the ep of songs about shame Songs about shit, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And like, Bled White is another one of those tracks that's like, this is Oh, but the music's so happy, though. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The Biggest Lie is another one where it's just, that's the other thing, he's so brutal sometimes. And and he's not, because I think a lot of times it's like these very kind of romantic songs or or self-kind of loathing songs, but there's a lot of songs that he projects that anger right back. Like, to me, Condor Avenue is a perfect one where, like, you just fucking, you're just worthless. Like, you know, and at the end, he's like, you do whatever the hell you want to. <laughs> like, I'm out. And the biggest lie is just about, like, how, how like, their, their whole relationship is, like, a complete, like, farce, right? It's just, there's stuff like that where there's a lot of anger, too, that I could identify with. Like, just, like, fuck off. <laughs> Get out of my face. His lyricism impresses me in that, like he's able to really take some relatable situations and put some beautiful lyrical content into it that makes it in, like uniquely Elliot Smith. It's not like I've struggled to think of an artist that sounds like this, that is able to, to take emotions and put them into words and progression in such a way that like it, it just yeah it, yes there's some simon and garfunkel sounds but that's a melody thing that's not artistic component thing so his uh, lyrics like so unique like condor avenue and others especially on the first two records what what re-listening i didn't remember is his lyrics, his lyrics a lot of his lyrics in the later stuff become 
simpler and simpler. Not to say that they're like worse or anything, but just it they're short sometimes they're shorter songs. Like sometimes they're a little bit more straightforward like thematically. But like Condor Avenue is like a fucking Dylan song. He's like telling this whole kind of elaborate story and he's the way he stuffs like the words in the song and then also the rhyme pattern in that it's really weird and he's just like dancing the words are dancing around the melody in this really odd and odd way and it really reminded me of like dylan in some ways totally different voice than dylan obviously but and definitely different outlook but still i was really impressed i was really impressed and i, I, I didn't really quite remember that very well i think it also reflects like just an insane amount of like self and other awareness that I, I don't think a lot of people have on quite that level that he did. Yeah, it, it, like I think about the things he must have been going through with some of these songs and the way that he interprets these experiences in the lyrics and it's such a unique perspective. It's yeah. The, another thing that really just bugs me is he's just, he's yet another one of these like heroin dudes. And of the folks that we've done, right? Like, Weezer, no heroin, as far as I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Scott, we Scott Weiland, emotional, like deeply emotional, full of heroin. Big time heroin. Like, I yeah. would say Wilco also at the time. Yeah. I think they were messing around with that. Yeah. Insert cliche Bill Hicks quote here, right? Yes. Like, if well, you think drugs haven't done good things for for society, take all the music and records that have done so much for you over your life and throw them away. Here's the thing, man. I would have, I don't know. I can't imagine that shit helped Elliot Smith. Like, he had talent. Like, he had talent, he had songwriting ability. And maybe, like, it helped him maybe tap into some, like, emotions that helped him write amazing songs, but, like, god damn it. He's just, an it's like another one of these people, like, is, like, just so, like, amazingly capable of translating, like, deep emotion into a song. And sure. I think, if anything, for him, it was probably more a way to cope and manage and deal with all the stuff he felt so intensely when he was writing, yeah. well, living and writing these songs. I think you're yeah, right. and and the thing that I found like digging through this album, and and it's the reason why there's no on my track on my mix, there's not a live track, it, because it really seemed like he struggled to play a lot of this stuff live in a lot of the live recordings I found. Like he messed up all the time. Like yeah, and his voice had the wobble. Like he had this like kind of nervous wobble. Even late in the career, on he plays Miss Misery on Conan, and it's like it's it feels like someone who just released their first album, and he's for his career seven, eight albums deep. Like he just, I think he struggled anywhere that wasn't like a private, introspective place. Yeah. And, and I think that's why a lot of the studio albums really shine because, I, I don't know, I don't know what the sessions look like. Maybe there's a billion takes for every song until he works the warble out. But there's, there's such a perfect transfer of emotion and it feels like you snuck a microphone into a bedroom of someone who is struggling 
with life, but only comfortable with themselves with a guitar in hand. And that's like, that makes the studio albums that are just like, again, the first four albums, first three albums, just so perfect because it, it really feels like a very emotionally distraught, but like intelligent person with a guitar has written the most beautifully introspective music you could imagine and recorded it in their bedroom with high quality equipment. And it doesn't translate well when you bring in a full band, it becomes a very different thing. It's like his late stuff becomes a little bit more heat miser, but with another decade of experience behind it. And that's interesting later, the first four albums are where it's at, man. If you wanna, if you're a sad sack and you wanna feel a little <laughs> sad and listen to beautiful music, you could do a lot worse than Elliot Smith. And I'd love to hear anybody that, that has suggestions as to who does it better, because I don't know who that would be. See, figure, figure eight though, I'm saying the first five. I'm saying the first five. I, I know I, I know you're not yeah. a huge fan. I can only speak for myself. I feel like figure eight is more, I feel like figure eight is more like a record company got their hooks in Elliot Smith and led him to do something different. I think he did well with it, but it doesn't resonate. John Bryan was the producer. He's like a very, he's like a very like heavy hand. He did John Apple Bryan. and Kanye and all kinds he, of people. Like. He did the Fiona Apple album that was too good to be released as a Fiona Apple album. Right. Like, yes, it yeah. got it got <laughs> it got tanked and they replaced John Bryan and I still go back to the John Bryan album because it's just perfection. Yeah. I love John Bryan and he did well for Elliot Smith enough, but, but that's that transition period for me. I, I can't Figure eight doesn't have enough stuff that is a different thing, and it doesn't have enough stuff that was the same thing. I just can't quite get into. So, Jenny, what are your, what are what are your favorite? We can skip up to because we're in XO right now. We can skip up to figure eight. What's if like you, you could pick if you picked one? Where would you start? Are you doing this to me because I have so many figure eight songs yes. on here? You're yeah, forcing for me sure, to... of course. Yeah, yeah. choose yeah. your children. Alright. Sophie's choice. Yeah, seriously. Let me Can I you know, say like Junk Bond Trader? I fucking all right. love Junk Bond Trader. I'm I'm gonna slightly I'm gonna push back a tiny bit on Lewis. Like I Good. agree with you, Lewis do. that like Please do. Figure, figure eight did. You're not wrong. It did sound a lot more like commercialized and proc packaged or whatever. Color Bars is actually one of my all-time favorites from that album, and I think if any of them can can maybe fix that issue, it's that one, maybe, I think. Okay, I added so it to our think. Mega Mix, and for some reason it isn't actually on the playlist, so I'm gonna do that now. That, so Color Bars almost made my cut. I think the problem was that I like made my mix in order and by the time i got to figure eight it was like uh, yeah i love color bars but do i love it enough to make this 50 track mixtape an 80 track mixtape like it, it quickly became like oh shit, it's gotten away from me i really need to like dial this in a little bit better and i think i cut color bars that's okay i just i think that the rest of them 
are like more generic rock, but this one still feels a lot more original Elliot to me, despite being like pretty well produced and all that. Damn, he has quite the, uh, he has quite the hipster look in this album cover. I, I don't know if you could get more like, why am I here out of somebody's pocket. <laughs> <laughs> See, I like I like on his other records. I like it when he looks more like a punk and like a bum, like some sort of like crust punk or something like that. That's a better look for him. Agree. So I, when this record came out, I loved it, and then I actually I actually did our did the challenge that we do sometimes, which is to cut down an album to an EP, and I did that for Katie, because like I had met Katie not that long before, and. Katie, and to this day, she feels the same way. Not a, I, not an Elliot Smith fan, and uh, it definitely I, breaks my heart a little bit because I, I and I've tried, I sure have tried. Like of no of no version or nope. like era. Really? Nope. No. 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 She. The thing about Katie is that she is a little bit more like her folk needs to have a little more quote unquote authenticity. Which, in, in her mind, I think, I, look, I'm speaking for her, so I'm sure she, she would come in and be like, no, that's not what I think. But I'm going to try and put my thoughts together on that. It, it's, she likes more kind of roots folk, like country folk or like blues yeah. folk than like this, which is like a different thing. It's like almost like pop folk in some ways. So yeah, but I, I, I would say, uh, well, sorry, it's going to be real quick, so I'll just get it out. No, no, no. Um, yeah. that, that's fine. Like I don't, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna shit on that or anything. That's valid. But I, I guess maybe I approach it more from a everybody suffers, and his particular brand of suffering, I think, is not, is just as, just as legitimate. I'm not saying it very well, but you know what I mean. It's universal, is what you're saying. Yeah, and I would think yeah. so too. Yeah. I would think so too. And to me, that's you I know. Would, I would say that they're like suffering in particular is a really good way to get to the heart of the I like or I don't like Elliot Smith, mm-hmm. and like Elliot Smith is for the people that like to put on the suffer cloak and like it's... really just embrace the fact that like I'm suffering right now and I'm okay with that and I'm gonna listen to music that sounds like I'm making myself suffer more, but it actually doesn't elicit that feeling, right? Like people that are willing to embrace the suffer a little bit more, I think are people that are gonna enjoy Elliot Smith. Whereas like people that want to escape the suffer, which again, this is not a judgment statement. I, however you deal with it is how you deal with it. Like in the end, if you come out healthy enough, like with yourself, I think you've made the fi- a fine choice. But I remember one of the first times Katie and I had a discussion about Elliot Smith around you, Alonzo. Oh, yeah? And I, I think the thing, I'm paraphrasing, I'm sure, but I think the statement she made was like, he really enjoys pensive music and I'm not sure why. But like... <laughs> Like in that moment, I identified with you in a very like unique way and that I really enjoy pensive music as well, but I'm also not trying to sell this to somebody as this has to be the way that you interpret that. Like it's a very useful, tasteful and incredible way to enjoy your pensive moods. And 
it's it is for some people it's maybe not for other people but other people are trying to get something different if you're trying to experience that feeling and whether it be work your way through it or just acknowledge it within yourself i think elliot smith is going to resonate with you in a way that other people don't yeah also i love that uh this that can't make a sound is really like coming up on the the big finale here as you were going through that it was fucking beautiful and it matched <laughs> it you were like in a movie like giving an inspirational speech <laughs> Just, yeah right. no it's beautiful yeah yeah I, yeah i don't i don't know i do get a little judgy sometimes about this stuff but if i'm like if i'm not feeling great Right? Like, I think my instinct is not to listen to, is not to, like, necessarily escape. I don't know. I can't really escape. I think I can be comforted, but I can't really run away. Do you know? No, I think that's true. And I think, like, the three of us come from a place where music like this that wasn't widely accepted by our peers like, I think we all found a place for it to resonate with us and for us to be okay with the way that resonated with us. And okay with the fact that I couldn't go to school with the friends that I had at school by and large and be like, hey, have you listened to the new Elliot Smith album? It really <laughs> encompasses my feelings about life in an interesting and introspective way. Very I couldn't do that. Yeah. Turns out, turns out I'm not comfortable in my skin, and I'd yeah. like to talk about it. Have you listened to Elliot yeah, yeah, yeah. Smith? It's honestly like really, if and whatever, man. Everyone goes through different shit when they're growing up. But sure. if I would have been like to your like Joe Blow, like that we grew up with, hey, check out this. This is like very pensive music. Like the second I say pensive, I probably would have been like jumped and called like the f word. So it's not. So, it's, so for me, it's like I was always like very guarded, with a couple of exceptions. Like, when, talking to the general public about all the yeah. wonderful things I liked, just because yeah. it's just that's, why, that's why we had a crew of like eight, right? Like we had yeah. a crew, of, yeah. We could we could identify with each other, and we knew that like this same level of identification just created like a, a shield yeah. of sadness. Just yeah. <laughs> sadness and self-loathing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Can I just uh, tell a quick story? Yes, because... yes, do it. A very recent one, and it's illustrative, but when I started this job, like, what, like, less than two years ago, right after I started was Lewis, when I, it was when I came down to uh, see Tobacco nice. with you guys, and I came back, and, like, three people who I barely knew had worked with for all of a week, max, were like, oh, did you have fun? And I was like... Yes, and I like proceeded to sit there and explain to them who Tobacco was, why they were shitty for not knowing about him because he's from Pittsburgh, which is so close, and how dare they, and basically like go through all the stuff and I was just like, and it was great and you should check it out because it's really worthwhile. And also here's a picture of me with Tobacco on Instagram and they like probably were like, what? <laughs> the fuck is this white woman up so, to? <laughs> yeah, right? So I was just laughing internally hearing you guys talk about how like sometimes like you had felt like you couldn't necessarily go to school and talk to I, on the other hand, need to shut the fuck up and stop going places and just being like, let me tell you who I'm into right now well, and why you suck for not being It's like I told you it's like I told you the last time, like we showed up in Morgantown playing like Omar Suleiman, like <laughs> So you the three of us, I'm pretty sure if I recall correctly, were on my back steps, like 
harmonizing and singing Fleet Fox's Mykonos oh, very well. Oh, totally. Oh, I love that song. <laughs> so, where but, absolutely but no one in that neighborhood was into that. Fuck them. Yeah. yeah, oh, absolutely. But, but that's the difference between who I was when I found Elliot Smith yeah. and who I am now, 20 years later, and how, like, that Venn diagram, there is an overlap, right? Like, that guy was finally finding something that was beautiful and sad and maybe talked about life experiences that he didn't have but talked like sang about them in a way that resonated like deeply with the life experiences he was having and he was also wasn't comfortable enough to take things like this to, to the people around him that he had some overlap with. Yeah. Whereas now, like, I was talking to a coworker at the end of work on Friday. I work in network infrastructure and information security. And like, we were talking about sharing like a Slack channel that he had curated for that type of information. And I replied with, oh, I have a 70 track, like mega mix of depressing alt-rock <laughs> folk music that, that you should check out because I know you well enough to know that this emotion exists in you and I don't know if you've ever been exposed to this because he's 10 years younger than me. And, and I shared it with him and he's very much, oh yeah, this is cool. But he could have been like, this is bullshit, I don't know what your problem is. <laughs> and it wouldn't have changed, it wouldn't have changed my life. Yeah. Like. Whereas like at 14 and 15, there was so little around me that overlapped with what I identified with that I kept it like a little, like a little fire, like to myself right. or our group of enlightened people that I felt safe around. And like, but that's, that's the difference in growing up in a, in a tiny town with little exposure where like when you listen to something that no one else is listening to you're not sure if maybe you're broken in a way that you shouldn't yeah. be or if that's a normal feeling and at, at almost 40 the thing i realized a long time ago is that's a really normal feeling that people are able to access in, in a variety of ways and, and i'm so comfortable with it now yeah i i feel like I think I, I largely agree with what you're saying, Ryan, as far as it pertains to me. And I think the only thing I would add is for me, like there were just certain things I just could not help, like in terms of just being weird and like just being out there. And and mostly because I wasn't from there. So there's just like a lot of things that just weren't like, were just unavoidable for me, like from that standpoint. And so there was just certain things I was really confident about. And I knew I was different and weird and people didn't get it and I didn't give a fuck. But then there was like, yeah. there were lots of things where it's, you almost feel like, hate to use the term, but you almost feel like you're being like gaslit, right? Wait, like, I think this is so cool and no one else does. What the hell? This is what's and wrong with me. Am I crazy? I think about that with your Swarthmore story, right? Because I think where we were at the time, you going to Swarthmore, like for me, became this like, data dump influx of the of shit that I found interesting and in a way that I wasn't able to experience it before yeah. and to think that because you came in a little bit lower in terms of what they felt was cool yeah. and 
to think that someone would hear this and be like, yeah, no, Elliot Smith's not that cool. It's very much, I don't think we're judging this by the same thing. And it, it's a critique of the tastemaking. Yeah, right? like yeah. It's, it's, I don't know. I can still like anything the Melvins do is I'm into it. It's cool. I'm down. And a lot of people have moved on from that. And, and I don't understand this idea of moving on. <laughs> like for, for me, it's like, I am formed by this music in a way that it never goes away. And I have memories formed around this music that also don't go away. And I don't want to make them go away. I want to embrace what they were and who I am now because of them. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. This is, Elliot Smith is that guy for yeah. me for a lot of reasons because a lot of the music I grew to listen to then and listen to now isn't really about experiencing these this type of emotions in this fashion. Right, it's about lashing out with this type of emotion, and and for me, there's a large part of me that just doesn't want anybody to fucking talk to me, and I want to listen to some depressing music and feel better about myself. Every day, yeah. man, that is the struggle of my professional life. Like, go away and please stop talking. Yeah, for sure. But this has been this was fun. Like, I I I apologize that my list was a behemoth. Um, no, it's all good. But, it's all good. It's it's a, but, it's, a, it's a great thing. I I there were songs that I just rediscovered, just re-listening to, and it's hard to go wrong. Like it's really hard to go wrong with just about any of his songs. For me, especially the first five, even the ones that don't quite work, like they're interesting. They're like interesting failures, you know. And to me, that's like the mark of a great artist. Uh, a great artist fails, but. Even if their failures are like more interesting than someone's like boring ass successes, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A hundred percent. I think there's I, I think there was a time frame where I was listening to music that I felt encapsulated my feelings at the time and things that didn't apply to that weren't that interesting. But once I grew out of myself and started to think about them in the larger scope, it's like the trajectory is much more interesting. Like I could listen again, I could listen to either or and never listen to anything else and be perfectly satisfied. But the playlist that I have that runs now from Heat Miser to post posthumous Elliot Smith works, like I'm super happy about that because I can I can listen to those early tracks that I like and be like, oh, I see where this comes in later once he's able to get out of the one man and the guitar kind of box. Yeah. So there's one... There's a lot of interesting stuff. There's one more story I wanted to share, which, very quickly, which is... I actually remember very well, like, the day that Elliot Smith died. So this was in 2003. I was, I want to say it was, like, in October or somewhere around there. And I was actually at... I transferred uh, to Temple University and was living, Katie and I were living together and in Philly and that fall semester I started at Temple and there were days where I wasn't in class where I actually went down to the Free Library of Philadelphia to work and like study, read, write or whatever I needed to do. And I took, I had this like Walkman like FM pre, or actually no, the iPod had already come out. I just hadn't, didn't have an iPod at that time. So I was listening, I would be able to listen to the radio and then tapes and things. 
Remember, also, I had a cell phone, but it got really terrible reception in Philly, so this was like a time for me when I remember making a lot of phone calls in phone booths. I, I know that sounds like payphones. It sounds like insane, but it's true. Yeah, sorry, young guys. But anyway, I called Katie and just to, to come pick me up, and then I went out to the front steps. Do you guys remember where the Free Library is? It's like off Ben Franklin Parkway. If you know where the art museum, how the Ben Franklin Parkway ends up at the art museum and the Rocky Steps, you walk up the Rocky Steps. Like it's it's before <clears throat> you get to that circle, right? Anyway. It's kind of near the Rodin Museum. It's near the Rodin Museum, that's exactly right, yeah. I'm waiting there on the steps and I turn on the radio, turn it on to, I think it was NPR or something, I just wanted to get catch the news or whatever. And yeah, they, they announced that, yeah, that Elliot Smith was dead by suspected suicide. Like, they didn't know at the time exactly what had happened. And I don't think people really still know, but... I remember hearing that as Katie pulled up. And I was just, like, shocked and, like, numb. Like, just numb. And I remember getting in the car, and Katie was like, Are you okay? Because I was just like... I couldn't even say anything. And I told her what happened, and I think there, there were, like... I was probably just... I don't know, I was probably just completely out of it for like several days. I just couldn't even believe it. And it's not, a lot of people are like, he wrote a lot of sad music and whatever, and he was mixed up with heroin, and yeah, yes, of course, all those things are true. And so like the idea that he would try to kill himself or killed himself or whatever, it wasn't like a shock to me, well, but I just, I don't know. I didn't feel like I was like, I just felt like, what a waste. Like, what a waste. Like, I felt like, he was like a voice of, in a once in a generation type of voice. And that's I so knew weird. his music for five years, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, no, that's such a fucking weird logic is like, oh, we probably could have seen this coming. Like, sure, but that doesn't make it any less devastating. Like, yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah. It, doesn't, well, it like, doesn't make the loss any less of a loss. And you look at all the like, obviously painful songs that he'd written over time. Mm-hmm. And it's, there's, if you want to generalize about people with like addiction issues, substance abuse issues, depression issues, I guess that is the thing you can generalize that if they kill themselves, it's not a surprising thing. But you look at how much of that pain went into such beautiful music over time, and that's a completely different way to interpret that pain that is very dissonant to the way that it had been interpreted over the previous decades, decade. Right. Um, so yeah, uh, it was shocking. It, I, I remember it being shocking. I don't have a moment that I've specifically attached to, to learning about this, but I remember being incredibly sad and shocking because it's like, there's a hard stop, right? Like my life has incorporated this thing for so long and it's such an intricate part of who I am and there is a hard stop for the way that it's going to play with my life like from here on out. I, I know his live shows weren't nothing to write about but I never got to see him live. I don't yeah. know. And uh, yeah, he never he's never going to make more music which is like super sad. And I wonder what he would have done in like this era or how he would have changed or like what he would have tried to do differently. Or if he would have still been trying to do stuff. Like, I I struggle to think about where his sound exists in 
current albums coming out. Like, I'd like to think that Elliot Smith is a huge influence on a lot of musicians we listen to, but I think it's hard to hear it. And there's an album, I can't remember the name of it. I found it in the past week. There's an album, like a tribute album. And the thing that shocked me is that the people doing covers of Elliot Smith songs did not get anywhere close to what those songs sounded like. I, and I don't know if that was an intentional choice where it's gonna talk about this guy who influenced us, but we're really not gonna try and do what he did because we can't. Or if it was more, we wanna cover an Elliot Smith song. It's, there's a, so, both Lou Barlow and Jay Mascus have separate tracks on the album and neither one of them, like I tried to find a song that I was like, oh, look at this person covering Elliot Smith as we tend to throw our like, like runner ups around yeah, on, yeah. This, this, on this podcast. I really wanted a Jay Mascus or a Lou Barlow runner up but neither one were worthy of like yeah. inclusion beyond what I'm doing right now. Like they existed, but like they weren't Elliot Smith tracks. Have you heard a weren't... good cover of his, like good cover of his song? Have you ever heard one? No, I'm not and sure I that listen, I ever have. I listened to an entire album of them from a variety <laughs> of artists, and none of them got it. It, it was. I think it's just I feel like this way about Kurt Cobain in many ways. Like when he sings you can hear the pain and you, yeah. it's just really hard to like tap into that in the same way like i know there was the post malone sort of he did like the nirvana covers concert i don't know if you saw that ryan i did i did not he sounded like kurt he was able to replicate Kurt's voice um, yeah i think he did a decent job the thing is like nobody can be kurt and the thing about the thing about kurt is that there are songs that are just as unfiltered, like pain and aggression that are just like, how is anyone else gonna really do that? Yeah. And I think the same, like there are a lot, there are a few artists that operate in that way. Cave, no one can quite handle the Nick Cave component. It's funny, like you bring up Kurt Cobain and his sound and like, I've recently got into Mark Lane again, a lot more right. than I used Sc to be. Screaming Trees guy, right? So like when you dial back into Screaming Trees, you you hear a lot of like an attempt to sound like, and I don't know if it was an attempt to sound like, but it sounds a lot like someone trying to sound like Kurt Cobain. Yeah. Whereas like late Mark Mark Lanigan is like you know very clearly Mark Lanigan in a way that that can't be anything else. Yeah. I don't. I struggle to think of. I'm sure Elliot Smith influences people that we really enjoy. I struggle to think of a track where I hear that. And I struggle to think of someone that's able to encompass this same emotive, lyrical component that Elliot Smith was able to pull off through his entire career. I'm gonna throw a name out there. Basically who he was. I'm gonna throw a name out there. Kurt Vile. I know I've said this before. Anything? Because to me, like, there's like a lot of overlap. On certain, some of his records, there's a ton of overlap, I think. 
I don't. So I, I don't hear that as much. Like for me, Kurt Vile, I hear a lot more than Neil Young. I think other influences. I don't hear I as much in Kelly. Kurt Vile, like musically, maybe, but his voice is one that I think doesn't really channel yeah. emotion as well. It's more, even if he's feeling it, I don't think it comes quite through in the voice as much. Yeah, if anything, I think War, like the lead singer for War on Drugs, gets a little gets a little bit more of like the way his emotion comes across in his vocals, mm-hmm. but. It still doesn't like. There's not a point where I listen to a Kurt Vile song or War on Drugs, but mainly Kurt Vile is what we're talking about. I I don't listen to Kurt Vile and think, oh, this is an Elliot Smith. Like I hear the Elliot Smith in this. Yeah. It it, it never comes to me naturally for that. Like Elliot Smith is Elliot Smith. Yeah. There there are smoke there are heat for my misers. This is the one I was thinking about. Where there's like some yeah, songs that are very like. That are him. They're just him and a guitar, and but yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, vo- vocally, there's a lot of difference there for sure. Yeah, and he's one of a kind. A lot of he's difference. one of a kind. I mean, yeah, lyrically, there's a big difference between what Kurt Vile does with the song and what Elliot Smith does with the song. I do. Elliot Smith yeah. is. Yeah. It's just there's more depth than what he offers. Yeah, I like Kurt Vile a lot. Just. I think I, I think that Kurt Vile like. He's got moments where, like, he can do. Oh, he'll definitely sound like a little angry, but I, d- I just don't think that his voice really carries sadness that well. Yeah, you probably but, like. Definitely, Kurt Vile is like one of my favorite. Toma, you and I have a lot of. We've mm-hmm. met people. You more than any of us. Like, we have a lot of stories of. Oh, I got to meet so and so, and they were really cool. Kurt Vile resonates with me in a way that a lot of musicians that I've met doesn't or don't in that like you and I met Kurt Vile in Pittsburgh after the show we saw at the Carnegie Music Center and he was just so like chill average dude like we were smoking a cigarette behind the show he came out to smoke a cigarette and it was like how can we not walk over there and say hi yeah, I was just going to say, for the next few minutes, it was just like, it was like us hanging out with our friends, except it was Kurt Vile. I let that, I didn't let that turn me into a fanboy, it was really close. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Yeah, I've run into him twice since then. Neither, the, the second time, I was at a hotel in Charleston. I just got there because I was going to take the bar exam uh, the next day. And I was sitting in the lobby, like, oh, we had just finished day one, me and one of my friends who were staying there. And we got out of the first day and we sat down, our our hotel had a happy hour at five, free drinks. And I was like, my God, if we ever needed a drink, it's now. So we went down to the lobby and sat there and we're just like, Jesus Christ. And I look up and I'm like, and he's talking to me and I just stopped listening and I'm just like, Squinting a little bit because I'm like, I could swear that's fucking Kurt Vile in the corner, and there's no reason why Kurt Vile should be in a hotel in Charleston right now. He's not playing here tonight. There's so that can't be right, but my brain is that's obviously Kurt Vile, right? And I just kept, he was like, Who the fuck is Kurt Vile? And I'm like, Don't worry about it. So I'm just like, I, I was like, I gotta figure this out. So I, <laughs> I literally, as he's walking by, I'm like, 
listen, weird ass question. Are you Kurt Vile? And he was, yeah. And I'm like, all right, see, I fucking knew it. Like, why are you in Charleston right now? And he was like, oh, we just, we're just like on our way from, they were down south playing somewhere and they were on their way north. So Charleston just happened to be the point where they stopped overnight at the hotel. And then he like stood outside and had a cigarette with me in a gale force thunderstorm. His hair was like unaffected entirely. Mine is wet and looks ridiculous. There's a there's a photo of this on my Instagram. His hair is unaffected by a gale force winds and and rainstorm, and I look like I've drowned. So there's that. Dude, you're amazing for meeting celebrities. I, yeah. Your your talent for meeting celebrities is just I don't even yeah. know how to explain it. I, I love your story <laughs> of meeting. Uh, of running into tobacco at Meow Wolf in Santa Fe and you calling him by his birth name and him being like, how how do you have any idea who I am? I keep my face covered up all the time. incredibly he just like literally turned around like he thought i was talking to someone else he was just like oh who is that who does she want a picture with yeah and he was and then he realized i was talking to him and he was like you know who i am and i'm like yeah yeah man oh honestly alonzo i think it's just that i like i just recognize people in context where you wouldn't expect to necessarily see them for yeah. some reason that doesn't stop me from just being like i, I think oh, so i think my favorite of your celebrity meetings has been with and now this is not a celebrity to everyone but to me he is i can't remember the dude's name but he's the mayor he was the mayor of that town in southern oh, west virginia Johnny Cummings. yeah yeah nice. who, who's gay and he was on the daily yeah. show he's like yeah. part of one of the best like stories the daily show's ever done and I remember you post that on some somewhere on social media. I was like, "What the fuck, man!" He's <laughs> like the coolest dude That's in the world. Funny. He I, is I, a very cool dude. And I remember that I went to, I showed up for like my first day at my one L internship in Kentucky, in the smallest place ever. We went to lunch. He's sitting at a table behind us, and everyone's just, "Oh yeah, this is Johnny Cummings." And then. The other two girls with me who came from like Washington and Lee and were very white were like, who is that? And I'm like, wait, John, like that guy? And they were like, yeah. And I was like, he's the mayor. Okay. (laughs) So he was basically like, yeah, he was the mayor of the next town over, but he just spent all his time there. So hang out with him a lot. That's super cool. Very very cool, dude. Very cool. Yeah. I hope he's doing well. Super yeah, cool. for me, it's either it's either the tobacco moment at Meow Wolf or your Rob Robin Pecknold moment, right? Oh. <laughs> and, and like very similar to the the Kurt Vile story, you were at like a hotel or something or somewhere random as fuck. And you're How like, the fuck oh, do you do this? It's amazing. It really no, is actually, we were there. We were there to see Fleet Foxes play at Merriweather. And Robin was just walking through like the crowd before the show. Animal Collective was getting ready to play. And he was just literally like blending into a sea of people. And for some reason, I was just like, my brain was like, hold on, that's Robin. And then in my, as I do, I was like, hi, sorry to be that asshole. Gonna need a picture real quick, my bad. But he was just blending like into a sea of people and I don't know why I picked him out. My my brain just like apparently scans all the time for faces. I don't know. It's <laughs> amazing. This is this, this is a thing that I both want to be better at and know I cannot be. Like <laughs> I want to be able to recognize the people that I like 
admire the artist. But see, the artist it's that I two admire, steps, though. It's two steps. It, it's recognizing, which I suck at. And, right. And then if you recognize them, it's then like having the desire, like having the desire to like break whatever kayfabe or whatever you want to call it and go over there <laughs> and say you what's know, up listen, guys I, mean, I whenever this happens that's as far as i can really get how some people can like just like then turn it into a whole conversation and feel comfortable just being like yeah, yeah. yeah i'm up? like yeah. i will do it but i will apologize the whole time for interrupting their day like that, <laughs> that's, no, that's the level i'm at and I then see. when i'm done I will be like, love your music, new album was great, love your shit, and then I will leave them the fuck alone because I feel like I should. I tried to have that moment with Kamasi Washington because he played Morgantown before I moved. And I was like, I fucking love what you're doing with jazz. Like, I love the way you guys have shown up on like Kendrick album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you and fucking you know, Flying Lotus and Thundercat, you guys are amazing and I love what you're doing. And maybe it's just Kamasi's persona, but he looked at me like, why the fuck are you talking to me? And I immediately <laughs> thought like, yeah, why the fuck am I talking to you? You're Kamasi Washington. That's disappointing though, man. Come on, dude. Was, like, yeah. you know, yeah. Kamasi okay. Washington, he, he makes cool music, but like, hey, what are you, a D-less celebrity? Come on, give me a fucking break, man. Oh, but like, okay. for me, that was A-list. Like, that dude is doing something in jazz that uh, nobody else well, People take themselves right too damn seriously. Uh, Devil's Advocate, though, for a quick second, maybe he was just, like, taken aback because he wasn't expecting anyone to fanboy out, and maybe Probably. that was it. Maybe Probably. it wasn't, maybe it wasn't, like, why the fuck are you talking to me? Maybe it was, why the fuck is this guy talking to me? I, uh, wow. You, you make art and people connect with that art. You have to expect yeah. that people are going to connect deeply with it if it's good. Who fuck? Yeah. I don't know, man. I, We've gotten a long way away from Elliot's <laughs> All right, let's Ryan. Why don't you take us home, and then I can go get a drink. I can try to like look in my fridge and pantry to try to concoct something that will maybe look like a Kiwi Mad Dog 2020. I'm gonna try. All I know is my eyeballs are floating right now, so being <laughs> able to walk away and bio would be nice. So I think in the end, what we've come up with is a pretty satisfying mega mix playlist we all hear when we're listening to elliot smith i i don't think i don't think there was a chance of any of us bringing anything that that left any of us feeling wait i think you missed the point no but it's interesting to see where all of us land when it comes to elliot smith who has a, a lot of songs that sound they have a similar sound he has a style that style varies a little bit it was interesting to see where all of this pulled back up no doubt another rest in peace and another rest in peace and thank you guys for sticking around and go check out Elliot Smith he's so fucking awesome just put on any of his records and just chill the fuck out and, and you'll dig it um, and you'll feel, be you'll feel better you'll feel better yeah. You'll feel better. Yeah. yeah. You're not going to feel sad. You'll feel better. You'll feel better. It's yeah, like his be music good. is too beautiful to not respond like with at least a sly smile. <laughs>